Welcome to the Transition Bridge Podcast, the podcast that will help you embrace, grow, and be transformed by the transitions of life. Now here's your host, Debbie Ronka. Welcome to the Transition Bridge Podcast. I'm Debbie Ronka, your host, and today we're going to cover a different type of transition, one that maybe we have not ever considered to be a part of the transition process. Well, this transition comes packaged with a lot of the unknown, the emotional trauma, there's pain, there's a lot of critical decisions that need to be made, and this is all found with what children experience as they enter the foster care system. I have with me today, Dr. John DeGarmo. He is an expert on this topic, not only in the framework of foster care, but also as a foster parent. Dr. DeGarmo is married to Dr. Kelly DeGarmo, and the two of them have six children, both biological and adoptive. Dr. DeGarmo and his wife are also currently foster parents to three siblings bringing their household to nine children. Dr. DeGarmo has been a foster parent to over 60 children over the years. He and his wife are recipients of multiple awards, the Good Morning America Ultimate Hero Award, the Up With People Everyday Hero Award, and they've also been honored with their city's Citizenship of the Year. Dr. DeGarmo has an extensive bio, and he is the author of several foster care books, including the new book, The Little Book of Foster Care Wisdom, 365 Days of Inspiration and Encouragement for Foster Care Families, and the best-selling book, Faith and Foster Care, as well as the Foster Care Children's Book, A Different Home, A New Foster Child's Story. He is the director of the Foster Care Institute and acts as a consultant to foster care agencies, as well as an expert witness to legal agencies across the USA and the globe. Dr. John is a high content speaker and an informative trainer on the foster care system. He travels extensively across the globe, meeting with foster parents, child welfare workers, churches, schools, and organizations. Dr. John has appeared on several TV programs, including CNN, Good Morning America, ABC, NBC, Fox, CBS, and PBS stations. Dr. John, I am so honored to have you today, and I'm so grateful for what it is that you're going to bring today for the audience. There's so much we need to know. There's so much we don't know about the foster care system and how children are affected, how the parents are even affected. So thank you for bringing your expertise today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely. Well, can you take us from the beginning? Like what actually drew you to become a foster care parent? Oh, sure. Thanks for asking. So, you know, before I was a foster parent, I didn't know much about it. In fact, I knew a lot of wrong stuff. I believe the myths and misconceptions that were associated with foster care that kids are bad kids, that the foster parents are in it for the money, foster parents are bad people, foster parents are crazy. Only one thing is true. Foster parents are a little bit crazy. It's kind of crazy to do what we do. It's a very different, unique lifestyle. So um, so that was before I was a foster parent. My wife's from Australia, and we were living in Australia for a number of years, and our first child died of a condition called anencephaly, or some pronounce it anencephaly. It's a condition where the brain or skull never truly formed. I'm sorry. And- no, thank you. My wife was in labor for 92 hours. And oh. 
I turned my back on a lot of things, including my faith at that time. And then years later, we moved back to the United States. Um, my faith was restored after several years. I was teaching in a rural school, high school setting in middle Georgia. And I kept noticing a lot of kids coming through my classroom who had issues of attendance, behavior, academics. And I kept asking myself, what is this correlation? What's, what's, mm. what's going on? And I met a lot of their birth parents and I recognized starts in the home, starts in the home. Absolutely. So that led us to the discussion of foster parenting and that led us to 60 plus children, led to my, my doctor in foster care and, and very driven daily to make the system a better one. You know, I think right now we're in a time of spiritual warfare and our children are at the forefront of that spiritual warfare. I agree. Very critical time right now. I agree. I'm so glad that you're involved in this because, you know, what breaks my heart is, you know, children come into this world with trust. They just naturally trust and they trust that they're going to be loved and taken care of. And then somehow life happens in a wrong way and they get put in situations where that trust is not only compromised, but it's shattered. And so I guess some of my questions would be with a foster care parent, um, do they do background track checks? And I know you mentioned you do training. So what does all of that look like? Uh, thank you for asking. So yeah, we do as foster parents, we do have to have extensive background checks. You know, every state's different, every state's different. Um, but generally, there is a background check, there's a police check, you know, um, drug testing, home inspection, and then an extensive amount of hours of training before we even are considered to have the child placed in our home. Now, I will state this. So there are more children coming in the foster care system for a number of reasons. Opiate epidemic, which is strangling our nation. Mm -hmm. you know, think about those children when their parents are incarcerated. Where do the kids go when the parents are hospitalized? Where do the kids go when the parents die from drugs? Where do the kids go? They're flooding a new foster care system that can't handle it. Child abuse is on the rise after COVID. You know, when, during COVID, we as a society decided to make the decision, I think a very wrong decision, to lock our kids up with their abusers. You know, 5 million children in America experience domestic violence in the homes every single year. So what do we do? We close the schools and said, well, it's safer for them at home. Not when 5 million children are experiencing domestic violence and their only safe space, their only safe space is school. So we've seen a rise in that. We've seen a 51% increase in teenage uh, suicide attempts. Teenage depression's at an all-time high right now. Teenage addiction's at an all-time high right now. Mm. So it's a critical time for our children. There are not enough foster parents. There are not caseworkers are overwhelmed, overworked, overwhelmed, uh, under-resourced, under-supported, under-staffed, underpaid. So sometimes people slip through the cracks and a child could end up in a, in a very bad foster care environment. That does happen. What happens when, um, you know, what happens to take that type of foster parent out of the system? Is there well, a big process to prove everything to protect the child moving forward? There, there should be. But then again, let's go back to COVID, what we were doing. Foster uh, child welfare workers were not allowed to go into homes because of, of social distancing or whatever it might be. So they were not able to lay eyes on the foster parents and the child to make sure the child was safe. So, you know, ch children could kind of harm that way. We, mandated reporters were not being used. The teachers, the child welfare workers were not being mm -hmm. used during the time of lockdown. 
Um, and that was very detrimental and, and put children in harm. Um, but now, now that most states are back to normal, if you will, or this new normal, uh, yes, there's, there's a lot of, there are a lot of um, protective measures put in place and more so. Still, child welfare workers are overworked, overwhelmed, and sometimes a child can slip through the cracks. So you're very passionate about sharing the message about becoming a foster parent. What would you say to the audience about that, what that looks like, and maybe offer some wisdom and encouragement on stepping into that role? Now, first of all, I'd say it's the hardest thing I've done. And second of all, I'd say it's the most rewarding thing I've ever done. Every child has made me a better person, a better husband, a better father, a better member of society in some way. Every children has, um, has broken my heart, if you will, because mm -hmm. when a child leaves my home, it's like losing a member of my family. Now, a lot of people say to me, Dr. John, I can't do what you do. It hurt, too, it hurt too much to get the kids back. And I say, that's how it's supposed to be. These children need stability. They need structure. They need consistency. They need safety. But what they need more than anything else is for someone to say, I will love you unconditionally. I will love you with all of my heart. So that when the child does, uh, when the child is removed from our home, whether it's adoption, whether it's reunification, whether it's aging out of the system, whatever it might be, um, while that can be a happy ending, at the same time, Foster parents suffer from something known as grief and loss. Uh, again, it's like losing your own child. But then I say, you know, that's a gift. We're given the gift of our broken heart to the child because I could be, as a foster parent, I could be the first person who's ever loved that child with all my heart. I could be the first person who's ever cried over that child. I could be the first mm -hmm. person who's ever, um, who's ever had their heart break for that child. So that child will take that broken heart and that unconditional love with them for the rest of the life. And that's a wonderful gift. I'd say that to somebody considering a foster parent. I'd also say this, you know, as you and I are having this conversation, there are 5 million plus children in the homes with, with domestic violence. There are 500,000 plus children in foster care. There are 300,000 children victims of human trafficking in our nation. All this to say, it happens in every single community, sometimes within our own family that we don't want to admit. So that means we don't have to look far for a mission field. If we're a person of faith, the mission field and today is in our own community. The mission field is sometimes in our own neighborhood, within a mile of a church. I work with a lot with churches and faith-based organizations, helping them set up their own foster care outreach program, foster care ministries. And I tell them, hey, you know, there's a new mission field in America, and that is that the foster care system. So there, there's so many ways that people could help, even if they can't be a foster parent themselves. Um, but they, then again, I go back to saying it was the most rewarding thing I've done. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to be, you don't have to be married. You don't have to have a big job or big house. You don't have, to have those things. You know, if you're, if you really want to change life with a child and you think you can be a foster parent, I say, look into it. I love how you share having that child for that moment in time, for that season, however long it lasts, you have a phrase that for such a time, someone cared and someone loved them. And I, I so am touched by that because I think about it as that child grows up, they could have that moment in time that they can look back and say, someone valued me enough to allow me to come into their home, even though it was a short time. And boy, isn't that the heart's cry um, of the Lord? You know, children are so special to him. And I just love that you're going around and especially to churches trying to start different programs. So sh share with us, how do you actually train someone who wants to be a foster parent? 
Well, here at the Foster Care Institute, what we do is agencies, child welfare agencies, foster care programs, and churches. But let's let's look at the first two first: child welfare agencies and foster care programs. They will they hire me, to, and I will work with them to train their staff and train those foster parents who are already licensed. Okay, I don't license foster parents themselves. I point them to how to do it. But I, I work with foster parents on how to develop skills and strategies and equip themselves so. And they have a child who is in, who has anger management issues or a child who has issues of trust and attachment. How do you care for these children when they are certainly suffering from trauma and anxiety? In regards to churches, I help them set up their own outreach program, if you will, foster care ministries, where they can get in their own community and help those foster parents, the children placed in care in the community, and maybe even those birth parents. Those birth parents, yeah, they may have committed heinous crimes against these children, but they're still children of God, and God loves them just as much as he loves us. And many of those birth parents are suffering from their own trauma. It's generational. Yes. Know, their, parents, their parents were abusive. Their grandparents were abusive. And for those parents, these birth kids in my home, they may have never had a positive experience, a positive example of what a father or a mother looks like. They may not know how to parent because no one parented them. And you know, you're so right, Dr. DeGarmo, it's the generational thing, because if we don't take care of our children now, as you shared earlier, they're under, this is like a spiritual attack in our nation. This is our future. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of broken children growing up. And yes. without being healed, that cycle just continues. Yes, yes. You know, I, I, I think right now, the real pandemic is of mental health for our children. We're suffering from a pandemic, pandemic of mental health. Again, teenage depression, teenage suicide, teenage addictions, all these things that happened when we locked them at home. And these kids, many of these kids got behind a computer looking for looking for acknowledgement, looking for acceptance, looking for love. And during that time, you know, sexual predators were roaming the internet, looking for those vulnerable, vulnerable, vulnerable children um, who are spending mm -hmm. all day online because they weren't in school. And oh boy, that was just like an open door for all of the wrong things to happen, wasn't it? Oh, that's so sad. What about um, the foster parent? I can imagine the grief. So is there a, something in the system to help the foster parent as they have to process the loss and grief of a child that they have to let go? Not enough. Okay. Not enough. You know, so I went through... Um, I went through training just as your normal foster parent did. And I thought I was ready. Uh, I had, my wife and I had three children in ourselves at that time. I've been teaching high school for a number of years. My wife had a degree in psychology. We thought we were ready. But I recognized within 20 minutes of my first placement, within 20 minutes of the first child being placed in my home, I'm not prepared for this because I was not prepared for what the child brought. I thought I knew. And then the child left their house six months later. I was not prepared for my broken heart. Why, why am I crying? Why, why am I grieving? I, I what's happening to me? Um, you know, there's a lot, it's a, there's a great difference in reading about it and then experiencing it. So, you know, foster parents today, your normal foster parent nationwide might last between 18 months to 24 months. And then they say, this is too hard. I can't do this anymore. And one of the reasons why is because they don't get enough support services uh, when they are experiencing feelings of grief and loss or burnout and stress or something known as secondary traumatic stress or compassion fatigue. You know, as I said, foster parenting is a unique lifestyle. When you have a child come in your home who's suffering from trauma and anxiety and you're caring for them 24 hours a day, seven days a week, uh, 365 days a year, if you will, 
and the child has issues of trust or issues mm-hmm. of, of attachment because they have been abandoned. They've been neglected. They've been abused horrifically. So when they come to my house, you know, they don't want to be there. I'm not their norm. You know, they, they still want to go back to their abuser when they, when they're placed in my home, when they're, when they're removed from their house, suddenly from mom and dad and their, their, sometimes their siblings in their house or home, their pets or siblings or toys, everything they know and thrust into my house late at night with no, no explanation that they can understand. They ask questions like, why am I here? When do I go home? Did my mommy not love me anymore? Did I do something mm. wrong? So I really struggle to answer those questions. So it's a time where they have to learn to trust me. I'm not going to hurt them. Um, you know, when I talk about love, I, I mean it. Um, there's there's no harsh words. There's no screaming, yelling. There's no abuse of language. There's no abuse in general. They have to learn that it's going to be okay. Different home, but I might be okay. So that takes time. Um, and there's those child children who who might um, have issues of anger or whatever it might be. And it's 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 tough. So so the, it, foster parents they need they need more support. And again, child welfare agencies are simply overwhelmed with so many kids coming in. It's hard for them to get the support services foster parents need when they're struggling to find a home for the children. I love the idea that uh, starting this in the churches, so they establish a community within themselves to support one another, because honestly, you're right. The foster care parent needs a community because they can't do that alone. Right. So I love the title of your books. Um, faith and foster care and the the child's book a different home a new foster child's story is this book given to children as they go into homes have you thought about doing that or is this a book a lot of agencies yeah a lot of agencies will purchase the book um they'll buy it in the kids of their foster parents or a lot of foster parents will buy the book themselves you know, I've also got a book that called The Church and Foster Care. It's kind of a new book, The Church and Foster Care. And that's a book that is designed to equip today's churches and faith-based organizations on how to create their own foster care outreach program. In fact, every chapter is um, really kind of designed for Sunday schools, if you will, classes or adult learning sessions, um, small groups, with lots of discussion questions. So they can think, you know what, how can we establish our own program here to help foster parents, to help to help the children, help the birth parents. And there, again, there's so many ways organizations can do that today. Do you think there's just not enough understanding or knowledge out there about foster care and how to become a foster care parent? Do you feel like that's one of the reasons people are dragging their feet uh, versus maybe going towards adoption where it's just adopting a child and you're done? I do. I do think so. And again, I got, I point back to where I believe the myths and misconceptions, you know, much of the media will put the spotlight on foster care when it's a negative situation, when it's a harmful situation, when it goes wrong, seldom do they celebrate the many, many, many successes that is foster parenting. You know, in a perfect world, there wouldn't be foster care and I would not have a job. And I wish that was the case. Mm. Sadly, we live in a fallen world where abuse happens everywhere and children are being neglected and abandoned as we speak. Um, so there's such a need for foster parents and the vast majority of them are doing it because they feel called to do so. But we don't really, as a media, we really don't bring attention to that. So I do feel it's important to bring awareness because I think awareness equals advocacy. When people hear the stories of what these children are going through, they might say, you know what, maybe I want to be a foster parent or I can't do that in my own home, but how can I help a child in my, in my 
community where I live. You know, that was going to be my other question. You know, we could have a neighbor that has a foster child. Um, how can a neighbor get involved? I mean, should they get involved with that? Yes, yes, they should. Okay. Please, please. Um, there's so many ways, you know, uh, meals, you know, I, I, uh, when, you know, foster parents, a lot of foster parents, I go to work sometimes just to rest because when I come home, you have visitations with birth parents, you have court hearings, you've got therapy and counseling sessions, you've got visitations, um, helping the child with school. They're 18 months behind academically on average mm. behind with reading and math skills as they go from home to home to home and, and, and school to school to school. So preparing a meal once a week or once a month would be great. Um, adopting a foster family, if you will, and helping them with birthdays and Christmas presents. Many of these kids have never had a birthday celebrated in their name. I think about a 10-year-old child who came to our house, didn't know the words to happy birthday because no one had sung it to him. Can you imagine? Oh, yeah, that breaks your heart. It does. Um, you know, helping with Christmas gifts, um, because again, they've never had a present to open up. I think of a 14 year old boy in our house and we gave him a present and he asked if it was for him. And then he said, yes. And he started crying. Um, yeah, um, helping, uh, you know, if you're a church community, uh, starting a clothes closet for these children, or maybe a food pantry, uh, when a kid comes to foster care, many times they're placed into a home with just their belongings in a black plastic bag, which to them translates as I'm garbage. I'm worth garbage. Oh gosh. Crap. Yeah. So, you know, maybe if your neighbor is a foster parent, you could go and buy a brand new suitcase for that child. So when they leave for whatever, whatever reason, and whenever it might be, they've got a brand new suitcase that tells them that they're worthy. These are just a few of the many ways that we can be, we can help kids in foster care in our community. And again, these are just a few. That's very creative. Just the suitcase. Who would have ever thought of that? And that would just add so much value to that child. So do you recommend that anybody who's listening just look locally for a foster care program or like sure. what would be the best way for people to get in, in, in touch and involved? You know, a quick search online will show you your foster care agencies or foster parent support groups in your, in your area or your child welfare agencies in your area. Um, perhaps there's a church in your area that is partnering with a foster care agency. Um, those are those are some ways. Yeah, it's it's pretty easy to find online. Okay, so I highly recommend to it's a shout out to everyone who's listening. I'm sure compassion is touching your heart right now, and you're always looking for a way to make a difference and how much of a difference you can make in a child's life. You know, maybe it's the backpack, maybe it's the toiletries, maybe it's helping that family with a meal, but pray about it and ask how you can get involved because. As parents, as a nation, we all need to come together to make a difference. This is a group of children, a massive group of children who need to know that they're loved, that they're valued. They were created for a divine purpose. And life has come in with a lot of pain and is blocking that from their hearts. And we want their trust restored. We want them to be able to run the path, the race that God has called them to run. So if any way you feel inspired to get involved, please do, because, you know, one of us can't do it all, but we can all take a piece of this pie and begin to see the system change for good and have it become a healthy place for these children that are so longing to be touched. Dr. DeGarmo, I so appreciate your time. And in closing, is there anything else that you would love to share with our audience? Would you like anyone to get in touch with you? Um, whatever you'd like to share. Well, I want to share this. 
you know, as, as you and I are having this conversation, as people are listening to us right now, this very moment, there's a child in every community, right where you live, who is praying, somebody, please help me. And that's what we're called to do. You know, Matthew 25, 35 says, for I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. Mm-hmm. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was naked, you gave me clothing. That's these children in our community, in our nation. As I mentioned, 300,000 children victims of human trafficking. So many of these kids have never heard someone say, I love you in a healthy, positive fashion. And we're all called to do that. Um, if you want to find out more, you can look for the Foster Care Institute online or Dr. John DeGarmo, foster care expert. Be happy to answer any questions. That's wonderful. And I have one more question for you. The uh, children who reach, I think it's at the age of 18 and they come out of the system, what happens with them? So in some states it's 18, in some states it's 21. Um, It's called aging out. And the statistics are pretty grim. So on average, those who do transition out or age out of the system, who are never adopted, who never find a permanent family, if you will, 55% will drop out of school, 65% will end up homeless, 75% will end up incarcerated, and the cycle just repeats itself. In fact, only 6% go to college and only 2% graduate with a four-year degree. Oh, that's really sad. Uh, and, you know, these children, you know, when they, it, it is. And these, these kids who leave the system, they don't have a forever family. You know, who do they call when they've got a flat tire on a, on a rainy Sunday night? Where do they go Christmas Day and Thanksgiving? When they're sick, who's bringing them, who's bringing them a bowl of chicken soup? Nobody. Nobody. They don't have the degree. They don't have a high school diploma. Um, nobody to turn to. So again, homeless incarceration, and it just starts over for the next generation. And so the statistics are very, very good. I I wish there was a place that they could all go, just go to, like there's a next phase. Maybe that that's something we all need to pray about that a a next phase gets created for them, a a place to go for their continued education and support. I I, I do pray that we see that one day. Yes. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for your heart, Dr. DeGarmo and your wife. We just bless you because you have the heart of God and you're reaching into a painful place. And I know it's a dark place, but you are bringing light. And I wanna celebrate what you're doing and we are grateful to you. And so I just pray that God continues to open more doors for you, that there continue to be effectual doors open as you make a difference in the lives of the children in this country. Thank you so much for your time. And thank you all for being with us today on the Transition Bridge Podcast as we come together to embrace, grow, and be transformed by the purpose and power of our transitions. Thank you, Dr. DeGarmo. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today on the Transition Bridge Podcast. We appreciate you. If you enjoyed listening today, please go ahead and subscribe or review the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to check out the show notes. And for more information about Debbie, go to debbieronka.com. That's D-E-B-I-R-O-N-C-A dot com.